Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here, and I'm your host for another fantastic episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, a podcast where we dive deep into all things vintage, and I really mean all things vintage. And tonight is a very special episode for me uh, because it's a, I want to investigate, dive deep into an area of baseball history that I think is extremely overlooked by most hobbyists and I, I think that's a, I don't know what, it's an oversight on our part, on our role as hobbyists. And I want to shed some light on an area of the Negro Leagues is what I'm talking about. And tonight I'm wearing a, a hat that I, I love. It's the Kansas City Monarchs, great Negro League team. And history of learning, so to speak, about the Negro Leagues, because I, I found it, I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating that our country was at a point in the not too distant past where we were segregated in all areas of life, not just baseball, but because baseball was the pulse of the nation a hundred years ago, it, and, and throughout the 20th century, you know, it, needed to lead the way in a lot of different things. And one of those ways that it <laughs> was both a stain on the history of baseball and a triumph is how the major leagues treated Negro players. And we're going to get into that. So I, I don't want to do this myself because e even though I know a little bit, I'm bringing on a guy that knows a lot. and. His name is Aaron Davis. Aaron Davis, welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? Good. Fantastic, Mike. First of all, thank, thank you for having me on today. You bet, man. I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to about this than you. And, you know, getting your perspective on this, you know, for a lot of reasons. I mean, you're, a, you're an amazing hobbyist. Like, your collection is absolutely insane. Uh, I envy it in a lot of ways i see the things you show and i am constantly impressed that your knowledge about the hobby your knowledge about everything and i mean i am just going to throw this out there and I, I mean as a black man how do you look at the at the history of baseball and negroes the negro leagues uh participation in that yeah, it's a great it's a great question because you know, and I, I Mike, I got to go back, you know, and this all starts uh, my upbringing, 
you know, I, I've mentioned this uh, in the past. Uh, you know, my parents were, they grew up in the 30s. And, um, you know, they used to go to a lot of Negro League baseball games and watch a lot of games. And they used to share a lot of stories with me. And then some of their experiences that they had to deal with uh, different things of racism and stuff like that. So, you know, they would tell me sometimes they would go to games and watch Satchel Page pitch. Uh, they would watch other guys like uh, Junior Gilliam play ball, and they would see some of the things that they would experience too, um, you know, as far as racism goes. So, I, I mean, the whole thing, man, for me, uh, I wanted to know, man. I wanted to know. I remember sitting at Sunday dinner tables, and my father would talk about this so passionately about, you know, the game itself and what it meant to, you know, us and our heritage, you know, I mean, baseball for us was a way to escape our expressions, our oppressions back then, you know, we didn't have much, but we had baseball and uh, you know, while everything was going away, it gave us a chance to, to not only escape that, but also display some of, some of the things we were talented at. I mean, Baseball meant so much, man. It, it really did. Um, it was one of those things that it's like going to get a haircut. You know how you feel when you get a haircut? You come out and you feel like it can just change your whole thought process and the way you feel and how you look on life that day. Well, baseball was kind of a similar way. You know, you, you could get on there with base, play baseball and you could change the minds of a few people about, you know, color. And, uh, you know, so – it's important. It's important for me in a lot of ways because growing up and learning about those guys and, and understanding uh, their work ethic, you know, and, and what they did and what they went through has, has helped me, has helped me tremendously. Um, I've shared a lot of stories on my channel about times where um, I used certain ball players, uh, you know, just famous quotes that they would say. Sometimes I would think about that when times got rough because I would always think about, well, if they got through something, I could get through it too. And um, so, you know. Well, let me ask you this. You know, I again, I look back at baseball history, and even though I wasn't around, there's there's – accomplishments that people did baseball players did that I have a sense of pride in, even though I wasn't a part of it. Do you feel that way as well about the accomplishments? Cause we're talking about amazingly talented baseball players that played in the Negro leagues and should they have been allowed in the major leagues? Of course they should. I mean, nobody questions that like that. It's ridiculous. We think now we look back and go, well, that's ridiculous. And, or at least I do, and it, it pains me to think about the missed opportunities there. Do you look at it that way or as a missed opportunity for the players no. of that era? Or do you look at it as a sense of pride for what was accomplished in the Negro Leagues? Well, both ways. I mean, I do look at a sense of pride. You got to think about it this way too, Mike. Look, if we don't have the Negro Leagues, we don't have Willie Mays. We don't have Hank Aaron. We don't have Ernie Banks. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. So, um, you know, yeah. I mean, was it a missed opportunity? Yeah, you bet you it was. It was definitely a missed opportunity. Um, what, what baseball would be today, man, how we would have been integrated back then. I mean, you didn't get a chance to see players that were even better than, 
and, and uh, Hank Aaron and Ernie Banks. We didn't see them. We just didn't get a chance to, to, to see those guys. And uh, what a win it would have been. You know, it probably would have been different history books that are wrote about certain players, you know, had, had it would have been integrated. So, yeah, I'm, I, I look at it both ways. You know, and there's all these different divisions that, that go with that. You know, you can look at it from all kind of angles, from from – money you know you can look at it from a money perspective you know how, how they thought back then was would black ball players generate revenue what you know would it be good would it be good for the economy they it was so many different things that were going on back then and um, you know it just i think it was definitely a big missed opportunity but uh we are today mike you know we do we do have stories to tell you know we do well, let's tell some of those stories. The The history of the Negro Leagues really goes back originally to the late 1800s, but it begins really in earnest in the 1920s, like around 1920, the Negro Leagues becomes an American successful business, essentially, and it runs all the way through really the 50s. Um, 49 was the last official year. If I remember right on the, the real Negro league, the major leagues, it became more of a minor leagues. You had amazing entrepreneurial spirits in Effa Manley and Rube Foster. And if you're hearing these names as Aaron and I talk about these, you need to go learn. You need to go read. You need to educate yourself. Effa Manley is the only female in the hall of fame. <laughs> and she was an amazing essentially wife of an owner, but really the owner kind of thing. And uh, just a pioneer in the sport. Rube Foster might be one of the most colorful and interesting people you can read about in terms of baseball history. What an amazing career as a pitcher. What an amazing career as an owner, operator, general manager, you name it. Uh, he he had his fingers in everything. And, and black baseball was one of the largest, you know, uh, black owned businesses in the entire country during its heyday. And it is, it was, it's a success story, quite frankly, a huge success story. Uh, so there were, you know, multiple teams, kind of multiple leagues. They had Negro league world series. They had great stars, great players that you could argue literally they had perhaps two of the greatest players at their position ever to play the game. And I'm talking about Satchel Paige as a pitcher. And I'm talking about Josh Gibson as a catcher. Uh, and I'd love to hear just some other names of players. And it doesn't have to just be the guys that are in the Hall of Fame, but guys that you think were just <laughs> absolutely stunning baseball players. And hear some stories. If you have any, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, let's 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 talk about that. You know, the whole thing too. I want to piggyback off of Rube Foster because uh, Rube Foster, man, what a great entrepreneur he was. I mean, you think about him; he was so far ahead of his time, man. And I, I remember, you know, growing up, my father was telling me a story about um, where Rube Foster had to go to this court battle um, when, I, and I, if I recall right, I think the guy's name was uh, Leland. Um, I forget his first, Frank Leland was his name, Frank Leland. You guys should look that name up, Frank Leland uh, was a guy, because 
the Negro League kind of all started, you know, based upon this whole big battle between Leland and Rube Foster. And once Rube Foster won that battle, um, it was a conversation that was had, and I believe in Kansas City, Missouri, um, is where this conversation was had. And that's kind of where the Negro Leagues uh, kind of, you know, sprout off. And I believe that was back in, uh, in the 20s, I think, 1920. Um, around that time is when this whole this whole thing happened. And I, Rube Foster was just a, a brilliant mind. You know, he was capitalizing on a lot of different things that were not happening back then, as far as uh, you know, how to generate and sustain revenue for um, you know black folks. And he did it. He did it, and it and it was just a, a big win. So. I just wanted to kind of, you know, throw that out there. So you guys go out and do your research on this. You'll be fascinated about that whole battle and how it went in court and why the battle even took place. You know, it was all over, you know, uh, wanting to establish black business back then. And uh, it was a battle, a custody battle over who was going to take the name of the ball club. And uh, it was just fascinating. So, um, but anyway, let's move right. Let's move. Oh, I'm sorry. Foster, you know, a great Rube Foster story is when he he won that court battle that you're talking about and yeah, went on to establish the Negro Leagues, the modern, let's call it the modern, you know, kind of the glory age of the, the golden age of the, to quote my podcast, the golden age of the Negro Leagues. And it was required. He was insistent that all of the owners of the Negro League teams were black. Yep. What an amazing force, like, just like, no, you know, this is our league, essentially, and we want our owners to be black. And I think that's incredible, you know, ahead of his time thinking, as you mentioned a second ago, uh, that really created a lot of, you know, discontent among the other white owners of other teams and, Good on Rube Foster for for standing up for what he believed and making it right, you know, doing it the right way from the beginning. So keep going. I'm sorry. So, you know, some of these guys that I want to talk about with you, Mike, are are not necessarily Hall of Famers. And and I know a lot of people know the big names out there, so I don't want to get into the the bigger names, the Hank Aarons, Ernie Banks, and Willie Mays, and those guys. But I do want to talk about the guys that are not talked about. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, show you a card here. This is the, the face of this gentleman I'm going to talk about right here. Can you see that, Mike? I can. Raphael Ray Noble. 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 Okay, sorry. <laughs> if, I, if I didn't do that, my wife would kill me. <laughs> Fair enough. Ray Noble. Okay. Raphael Noble. Uh, again, was a, another Negro League player that uh, made it from the Negro Leagues to the majors. He actually was a catcher for the Giants um, back then. But he, hit, you know, he played for the uh, New York Cubans. And uh, what a fantastic catcher he was. I mean, he didn't have a long stint into the majors, but uh, he – give you a little uh, tidbit about him, a little fun fact, was that – you remember the old around-the-world shot, Bobby Thompson? Yep. Well, the catcher of that game was Ray Nobley. He was the catcher behind that. <laughs> so I wanted to, to get that in there. But this is another guy, man, that, that has a uh, remarkable story. You know, you know, you talk about somebody that, uh, you know, came from a place where, you know, they had nothing. And baseball, you know, was was the only way out, you know. And 
according to some of the research that I've done, um, you know, back then, you know, this, this kid was, was highly thought out, you know, during his um, high school days. He was very, very good. As a matter of fact, they said that when this kid was uh, like 16 years old, um, he had the, 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 the stature and the body of a man that was, was 25 and 30. He was well built. And uh, he, they said that, uh, you know, that this guy, they, they thought that based upon his build and his skill level that he could play in any major league uh, that was out there. And sure enough, um, you know, he ends up going to a farm system and then come out and, you know, makes it, you know, to the, to the, to the uh, MLB, to the Giants. And, uh, you know, didn't have a long stint, but, but what a win it was for, for him just to, to, to get a chance to play with some of those guys, you know. And then um, another guy I want to show here, Mike, is this guy. This is Dan Bankhead. Um, a lot of Dodger fans may be, Brooklyn Dodger fans may be familiar with this guy. But Dan Bankhead, again, was one of those other guys, too, um, that – you know, came from the Negro Leagues and ended up making it to the majors. And the fun fact about this guy was, if you don't know, he's the first black pitcher in MLB. Not only did he throw the first pitch, but he also hit a home run in that same game. So it was, that was just a fantastic story. And Dan Bankhead had all the tools um, to, to of greatness. I mean, he had a prior to coming up to uh, the majors, he had a real strong campaign in the Negro Leagues. Where you talking about this guy was throwing an ERA around the 2.2.34 area, so he was pretty 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 darn good and pretty well versed. And when he got to the to the majors, you know, he experienced like what Jackie Robinson and some of the other guys were experiencing, you know, a lot of the racism. And based on his story and what he says, you know, you hear a lot of words like depression. And when you hear those words like depression. You know, I always look at that as signs of, you know, he was dealing with, you know, racism. He was dealing with all kind of stuff like that. And, and not everybody has a Jackie, a Jackie Robinson backbone and they can't deal with it. And uh, I remember he said, man, you know, it's <laughs> one of his quotes was it's hard to be it's hard to be black uh, right now. So, you know, it was pretty tough for him, but he but he made it. And uh, it was a, a pretty success story, uh, you know, for, for him. Here's another guy that, that people might not know about, Mike. And this is uh, Bob Trice. The, these are rookie cards that I'm showing you. This is in the 1954 set. And uh, another guy, uh, Bob Trice, that didn't have a long career in the majors, but, but uh, had a pretty good stint in the Negro Leagues. And... Um, you know, got noticed and uh, ended up being, uh, you know, drafted into the uh, kind of, sort of speak, into the majors. Uh, he had a strong campaign, too, in the Negro Leagues. And matter of fact, they thought this guy was going to be um, kind of like the next Joe Black uh, back then, you know. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a long stint, though. And again, when you when you talk about these guys and you read their stories, you're going to hear that depression word come up quite a bit. And I had to kind of dissect that because what exactly did you did they mean by that? You know, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what were you depressed about? And when you keep on digging and obviously you find more and more out about these guys is that it's just, you know, it's, it's what they had to deal with at the time. You know, can you go out there and mustered up enough strength to play the game you love and still experience getting cans thrown at you or telling you that you don't belong, you know? 
And these are guys that, uh, you know, obviously um, had trouble dealing with that. So you could um, say that but, Josh Gibson obviously dealt with that late in his life, which yeah. he, he died in his early 30s or mid 30s. I mean, but he was driven to alcoholism by not being allowed to play in the major leagues, driven to essentially insanity. You know, he, he was depressed and, you know, couldn't believe it. And it ended up killing him at a very, very early age, uh, which is sad. <laughs> you know, you hear these stories about these players, like you're telling us as well about these other guys. And you're right. Jackie Robinson, one of the, you know, there's like, who else could have done it? And I remember a quote from Buck O'Neill saying nobody else could have done what Jackie Robinson did. And none of us could have done what Jackie did. And they, they talk about it with such reverence back in the day of what Jackie did. And, you know, people think that integration of baseball was just this major leagues was this, well, Jackie got in and then the, the floodgates opened. That was not really true. Uh, a lot of teams were slow to adopt integration and I think the last team to integrate was what the Red Sox, I believe. Um, yeah, exactly. Is that right? And yep. now right. the Dodgers were at the forefront and most people know Jackie Robinson's story, but the story they need to know that goes hand in hand with that is the Branch Rickey story. The idea of two men with tremendous respect for one another that when Branch Rickey as a, you know, general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers says, we're going to bring up a black player. It was that idea was formulated in his mind decades before when he was a coach for a college team and they went on the road and he had a black player. His catcher at the time was his best player and they wouldn't let him stay in the hotel. And that depression slash humiliation that, that his player felt that he empathized with stuck with him the rest of his life. And he was bound and determined as all the innovations that branch Ricky brought to baseball, that idea of there needs to be an even playing field here. There needs to be a, you know, if you're talented enough, regardless of your skin color, you need to be able to play in the major leagues. And he, he did that. And we, and again, everybody knows Jackie's story, but you know, you think about Larry Doby, the first man American league, African-American player on uh, the Cleveland Indians. And then you, you know, the Dodgers went, they, they went nuts, you know, Roy Campanella, Don Newcomb, you know, uh, Gilliam, uh, Joe Gilliam. Uh, they were just, they were like, fine, here we go. And, and they, what happened? They won quite a few pennants in the fifties, <laughs> you know, in the late forties and fifties. It's like, huh. Roy Campanella, three-time MVP winner in 10 seasons in the major leagues. Yep. And, you know, the impact that they had was immediate, that those players had was immediate, and it was significant. And you, and you can't downplay that. You can't deny it. Uh, it is unbelievable, which makes me always think about, ah, if only, you know, if only. Now – I think Major League Baseball is doing some things. I wanted to ask you this question real quick before you keep telling stories. Yeah. The announcement by Major League Baseball in December of 2020 to say 
hey, we're going to start – we're going to include Negro League stats as a major league and count their statistics in the, you know, annals of baseball history. I, I, I feel two ways about this, and I want to get your take. My, I'm both thrilled and I'm both perplexed. Thrilled because, of course, it was as good a quality – you could argue those teams would have beat the pants, and they did routinely in barnstorming games. Negro League teams beat white teams a lot, <laughs> a lot. And the other part about it is the the perplexing part that is the records are not fantastic; they're not complete. Uh, when you look at if you look on Baseball Reference and you look at Satchel Page or this and that, and or other players, and you think, golly, they're it feels like there's a lot of gaps and that as a kind of completionist brain that I have makes me think, are, are we only just partially counting these things? Like, I wish it was more complete, I guess is what I'm saying. How do you feel about major league baseball deciding to include Negro league stats for players? I think it's Mike, I think it's long overdue, man. Um, you know, you think about you're taking, they're taking from 1920 to 1948, and I believe 3,400 right. 3, and something players who played and going to combine those stats. And, I, you know, again, you can feel, you know, I get it. I get why you feel the way you feel. I understand that. No, I think and, it's uh, way long overdue. I agree with you completely. I just wish, I, I guess I'm just thinking, God, will the greatness of Page ever be really realized? Because his stats, because we look, baseball is a game of statistics, right? Right. And how many strikeouts did Satchel Page really have? Well, right. we don't really, we'll never really know. And no. it's, I, I completely think it's whatever we have, we should include, you know, if as a baseball world, you know, I just wish it was more complete because then people would go, holy moly, you know, and, I, I guess I don't know. I feel this weird feeling about it. No, I'm 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 with you on that, Mike. Uh, again, I don't know if you're truly going to get the real, you know, the, the the real, you know, statistics that are out there because I, you know, God knows how many games that you're right, Satchel Page has pitched in, and you know, but uh, you know what they do know, you know. I think it's significant enough, you know, and I, I, sure. I talk about, I talk about like Monty Irvin, you know, what that's going to do for Monty Irvin. I mean, you think about a guy that's bad at 422 in the Negro leagues. And now, you know, you take those statistics and put it in what he has now. I mean, you, you may have got the greatest hitter ever. You know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, we'll have to wait and kind of see how that all plays out. It's still kind of, like you said, a gray area in there. And uh, I'm really thrilled to, to, to uh, about this whole thing and can't wait to see how they all combined it and put it all together. And when it's all said and done to, to see where some of these guys uh, stand out, especially like a Don Newcomb, you know, Don Newcomb, uh, you know, he's, he was a tremendous pitcher. Matter of fact, might've been the best pitcher back in the fifties. Uh, I mean, you know, and then of course what he'd done in the Negro leagues and, you put that together, that may be just enough to get him in the hall of fame. You know, I don't know. Um, but again, there's other guys that fall on out like Manny Munuso, you know, another guy that uh, has had a, a tremendous career in the Negro Leagues. And when you combine that with what he's done now, you know, 
what he done then in the major leagues, uh, you know, might be enough to kind of push him through, you know. So I don't know, but uh, I'm definitely glad that they did do this. And again, I'll say that again. I think it's long overdue. And, uh, you know, so it's great. I, I think it, if nothing else, I, I love that it brings a spotlight to the Negro Leagues, to those players, to that era of baseball and doesn't just swipe, sweep it under the rug, which they've done for so long. Not intentionally. I don't, I don't know that it's that. It's just more of, okay, that was that league, and then you had the major leagues. They're saying, no, no, no. It, it all counts now. Yeah. And I think that's, again, like you said, very eloquently long overdue. So any more stories you want to share real quick? Because then I want to talk I about do. the hobby I impact. Of I, the I do, Mike. I do. I yeah. want to go back and to uh, Bob Trice. Yeah, go ahead. You know, for athletic fans that are out there, you got to know that this guy was the first black player that was, you know, drafted by the athletics. So if you ever wanted to know who he was, here he is, Bob Trice. Nice. And let's do another one because I think this guy right here is is, is uh, very important. Let me just grab his uh, card real quick, uh, Mike. And this guy is uh, Gene Baker. Gene Baker. Now, All right. You're holding a 55 card. All right. was a wonderful, I mean, just a fantastic player, Mike, that played with the Kansas City Monarchs. And uh, you, you got to know about this guy because here's a guy that had a profound impact on Ernie Banks' career. Uh, this guy, they came in around the same time. Chicago drafted Gene Baker first, and then slowly right after him, Ernie Banks came in. And uh, I remember reading about a story one time. Uh, Ernie Banks um, was, was interested in a Caucasian woman. As a matter of fact, his words was this woman was just the beautifulest woman he had ever seen back then. And they, they were young guys, right? And, of course, back then, that sort of thing wasn't permitted. So Gene Baker tells him, he says, look, he says, you can't do that, man. <laughs> you can't do that right now. You know, we got to think about, you know, playing ball. And Ernie Banks tells me, he says, yeah, but there's some things that are just greater than baseball. <laughs> and uh, Gene Baker just told him, he says, look, man, he says, I don't want you to get in trouble. You know, I want you to focus on baseball. Let's not focus on women. And I remember reading about them leaving this place where this girl was. And he, Ernie Banks just kind of beat him up the whole entire day behind it. He says, man, you know, I can't even focus on baseball. And he says, see, that's what I was, that's what I was trying to tell you. I didn't want you to focus on her. I wanted you to focus on baseball. So it's just a funny story, a funny read. But Gene, Gene Baker was one of those guys, man, that uh, was just a high, had high integrity, man. He was one of those guys, man, that when he told you good morning, he meant it, you know, and, what a fascinating story Ernie Banks told. He says, look, he says, there's a couple of guys that, that had a great impact on my career, and I'm going to start with Gene Baker. Gene Baker was that guy. You know, I could go to him, and, uh, you know, if I ever needed someone to talk to and to get me back right in line, I knew Gene Baker would do that for me. So people should know about Gene Baker. Read up on this guy. Um, he had a fantastic career in the majors. Um, he didn't have this long, tremendous career, but uh, he did have uh, a decent one. And I, I think it's, you know, something to be said. And people go out and when you read his story, you're going to find out that this guy not only had an impact on Ernie Banks' life, but he 
he had so many other uh, impacts on so many other ball players. I don't want to spoil that because I really want folks to go out and read about this guy. He, he, he's, a, he's a tremendous guy. Re- research him. You'll be fascinated. And then um, let's move right along, uh, Mike. Let me, let me grab somebody else here. And I really, I really want to tell you about this guy because uh, this guy, to me personally, um, through his conversations that we've had, um, I, I love this guy. And that's Jim Mudcat Grant. A lot of people don't know that this guy started his career off in, in the Negro Leagues. Um, and if you know, you know, if you know a little bit, he's been around, you know, Jim Muckhack Grant's been around. He's been an all-star, you know, he's, he's a, you know, a black pitcher that's won 20 games. He's been around for a long time, but his story is just wonderful, man. He, he grew up in a, in a small little town, small little area in Florida, Lacoochee, Lacoochee, Florida, to be exactly of a population of 500 people. And, uh, you know, he had lost his father at a young age and, and was having trouble with direction. And his mother, you know, would, she would, her name was Viola, and she would, you know, work and work and work to, to try to provide for, you know, all his siblings. And through baseball, through baseball, save them. You know, she worked at a, a, a mill. And at this mill, um, they had this kind of this baseball team that was part of this and it, and it formed out and it was called the uh, sawmill uh, sawmill. I think it was Lucucci sawmill black baseball team. I believe is what it was called, but through that base, uh, through that baseball team is where um, Jim, uh, Jim Grant kind of flourished. He kind of started at a young age, loving it, man. And they, they, you know, when you read a story, they talk about just how much of a cannon this kid had. At, at a young age. And, and when he became 18 years old is when some of the majors start uh, checking him out. You know, Cleveland Indians had this recruiter that would go out and he heard about this kid that was down there that was just lights out. And he goes in there and he comes, looks at uh, Jim Grant and he says, oh my God, you know, this guy's fantastic. Goes back and gets a report. We got to get him. We got to get this kid. And then uh, Cleveland Indians, you know, ends up, you know, t- uh, drafting him, so to speak. But uh, just a wonderful story. Jim Grant is such a true gentleman and, and loves talking baseball, t- tells, tells, doesn't mind telling stories about, you know, his upbringing and about his experience in playing in the Negro Leagues um, as well. So please go out. I tell everybody that's watching this, this is a great story. And he's got a book out. And it's called the Black Aces, and it talks about all the black pitchers um, that have 20 wins under their belts. Great book, great read. So that's that one, Mike. And then let me get one more. Let me get get one more in here. You bet. Let's talk about Connie Johnson. Here's Connie Johnson, another guy that uh, started his career off in the the uh, Kansas City Monarchs. Since you got that hat on, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk about Connie Johnson, man. And Connie Johnson was another guy that just was uh, wonderful. Didn't have a long, you know, career in the majors. But, uh, you know, I got to tell you, man, in the Negro Leagues, he had all the mechanics to be to be the best, man. I mean, he was part of that, you know, whole uh, Negro League World Series game when they had um, Satchel Page and they had uh, Hilton Smith, you know, and all those great pitchers that were there. He were part. He was part of that, and uh, 
you know, I remember reading about this guy and I remember they were saying that this guy uh, would be the next big thing in the majors. If he gets in the majors, he's, he's going to just be lights out and there's going to be stories written about this guy. And again, uh, when you read a story, you'll hear that depression thing come up again. And then you, you, you know, you begin to realize that, you know, he probably, he probably went through a lot of uh, racism and, I went through, experienced it, a lot of racism and uh, things like that. But a tremendous story. Guys, go out and, and learn about uh, Connie Johnson. It's a fascinating read about this guy. And uh, you can understand, you know, what he went through, how tough it was and difficult to compete. You know, he talks about that and then uh, all the way up until he passed away. So what are some great Mike. If people want to go out and learn, Aaron, what are some resources that they can tap into to to hear about this stuff, to read about this stuff, learn about this stuff, watch, whatever? You know, there's 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 a lot of documentation out there. Just uh, you know, Wikipedia gives some great information. And then here here's the thing with Wikipedia. You know, you can go into Wikipedia, start off there, and then there's down at the bottom when you finish, there's resources down there that, that will lead you to the next phase of it. And, and um, you know, Wikipedia has, has been great. That's the easy way. I would start there. Start with Wikipedia and then go down and, and, and look into some of those uh, other resources that are out there that are linked to Wikipedia. And, uh, you know, you'll find, you'll find it. I mean, there's a great article um, – I can't, again, Mike, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but if you go to that Wikipedia, I know it's there. You can click on it and read it and it'll take, take you to an article and then that article leads you to something else. And uh, so. What a great rabbit hole. What a great rabbit hole to go down. What a great rabbit hole to go down. I just looked and, you know, I talked about the impact of integration on Major League Baseball, the influx of talent. From 1949 to 1959, so that's 11 seasons, a black player won the MVP award, won one of the two MVP awards nine times in those 11 seasons. That's impressive. That's not an accident. That is, you know, only two guys win an MVP award every season, right? And Don Newcomb won, you know, Jackie won, uh, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron. These are all greats of the game uh and it, it they had a huge impact on the game let's talk about now the impact of the negro leagues and then integration on the hobby right you have from my knowledge and i think you and i talked earlier there are no sets made specifically for the negro leagues in that era correct no yeah so the only cardboard representation that we have of these great players is either the ones that made the major leagues. You were showing some great cards here a little bit ago, if you're watching on YouTube. And then there's later on, there's commemorative sets. I know the Frisch, you know, there's a Frisch set from uh, 82, 83, somewhere in there. Uh, what, what set is that? Um, they, they had the, uh, what was what was the one that was uh, I think it was the Laughlin was it Laughlin? Yes, I have this card right here. As a matter of fact, I'll just show it. Um, here's a great Negro Leaguer Willie Wells. Uh, this is an autograph card, and this is a 1986. I'm sorry, 
86, the Larry Frisch company put out this set of Negro League baseball stars. And Willie Wells was one of the greatest shortstops ever, like not just <laughs> in the Negro Leagues, but ever uh, for sure. And you had James Cool Papa Bell and you had Turkey Stearns. And you, I mean, these names that mean something to me because I've taken the time to learn about these players and just unbelievable. You know, Cool Papa Bell, he could, Satchel would say he could, you know, you could turn off the lights and go get into the bed. He'll get to the, so fast he can get under the covers before the, the room is dark. You know, those kinds of things yeah. that the colorful nature of the, the way it was and, you know, Satchel Page calling in his outfield and saying, all right, we don't need it. You know, everybody sit down, you know, or whatever. I'm Satchel's going to strike you out kind of thing. And just amazing showmanship and, and talent and unbelievable. Uh, so, there's just not a lot of cardboard though. And I feel that, that kind of sorry. I mean, I think about Josh Gibson. I think he has like one card period. And it's like a Toledo Venezuelan. What is it? Yeah. I think it was that Toledo's I forget what you call it, but yeah, that Venezuelan or yeah, it's like one yeah. card and it's insanely expensive as it should be uh, in any like, good luck, even finding one, but those kinds of stuff, those players were not represented on uh baseball cards and that's that's a shame because when you get a card right there's a connection and that's the whole point of cards it's not just to hold a piece of cardboard it's to have a connection with a story the player their stats on the back to learn all these things that we don't have for a lot of these players which is sad um but of course jackie and roy campanella all these guys have tons of card don newcomb who i do think should be in the hall of fame by the way uh, Don Newcomb, Minnie Minoso, no doubt. Uh, and even guys like Tony Oliva and, you know, guys that came a little bit later yep. and cause Hispanic players were kind of thrown into the same, you know, uh, situation sometimes, especially depending on the, the color of their skin, really. Right. If they were yeah, uh, absolutely, a little bit, uh, darker toned Hispanic, they would not be allowed to play. It was, it was insane racism. It was just so bad. It, just, it boggles my mind to think about. And uh, we were robbed of these. Well, we weren't robbed. They got to play, but they just didn't get to play in the same vein. So, And I think, Mike, that's a great uh, point that you bring up about, you know, the cards in general and, you know, kind of putting a face to, the player you read about. And that's why, you know, when I think about like the 1953 page, what that card means, man, it's not just about the cardboard. It, you got to think about the times that that card was printed out. I mean, it was unheard of, you know, to have a black person's face on a card, yet alone for the world to see, you know, and then you, you begin to realize when you see things like that, just how special these guys really were, you know, I think about Satchel Paige, you know, the, the showmanship, the character, the, the things that he brought to the table. I mean, he was just so well loved that you didn't you didn't even look at the color of his skin. You know, you just saw a man. You saw a man that was just so full of joy and just loved the game of baseball. And you couldn't ignore it. We, you know, when you see things, you begin to, to realize that just some birds wings are just too bright to cage, man. Yeah. And Satchel Paige is one of those guys. 
what are some other like if people want to go out and collect cards of these players and they they want to create that connection for themselves as they learn what are some other resources where they can you know obviously ebay but i'm just saying like is there a list of the cards of negro league players or is there a database or anything okay yeah absolutely mike uh you know a great way to do this and this is guys this is really simple i mean simple (laughs) get your computer man type type in in the top in the search list just type in negro league players that have made it to the mlb (laughs) and again you're gonna find it's so simple man you're gonna find uh that there's a couple of different places that will help you out with that there's a website and i believe it's connected to uh, the the national uh negro league museum um, which is that has City, right yeah that you can go to and it breaks down in alphabetical order um the players that were in the negro leagues that have made it to the majors and, and it, it's great you'll and open it up and, and just start at the top and start reading about them and then you know, check those sets that you got, like all the way back from the 19, you know, 48, uh, you know, on. Just start checking those sets. You'll see those names. And the other great tip, here's a great tip. If you check out from 1959 below, if you see somebody that's a black player or dark in color, 10 to 1, those guys came from the Negro Leagues. Just start, re- right. just start researching them. Right. I'll give you that tip. <laughs> Do you have – I got to ask you this. I've never asked you this. Do you have a card of every player that has a major league baseball card? Do you have at least one of every player that played in the Negro leagues? 255. Nice. So you're 255 (laughs) for 255. That is fantastic. There were really that many players. I I have them all, man. That is insane. I didn't know it was that many players that made it. Now, now, again, Mike, they're not – all of them are not – you know, from flagship top sets. Sure, sure, of course. Some of them are some of them are oddball cards, but gotcha. Uh, I would say probably at least sixty percent of those cards are in those you know top sets. Tops or Bowman or something. Are tops yeah. Bowman, right? Exactly. Okay. Because again, if we're talking about golden age of cardboard, that was the the golden age of cardboard, and you can connect through those cards to the neat. You know, they're not going to have the Kansas City Monarchs logo, but um, you know, I think guys like uh, let's take Buck O'Neill, who sadly is is passed away several years ago, but he's a guy I could listen to talk about baseball all day, all day, just hearing him. If you watch the Ken Burns baseball documentary, you'll get a heavy dose of Buck O'Neill. And thank God that Ken Burns had Buck O'Neill talk about that stuff. I have an 01 Fillier greats of the game autograph of Buck O'Neill. I truly believe that Buck O'Neill should be in the hall of fame uh, as a, you want to call it a contributor. I mean, he was a great player too. Uh, but he was a manager. Uh, he did so many things. He was such a, he should be, they should make a new category that's called ambassador for baseball. And, and, I'm, not, and, and I'm not just talking about black baseball. I'm talking about baseball period. He respected right. both white baseball and black baseball. And he respected the accomplishments of Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth and uh, talks about them in such 
with with such respect, which I really appreciate the way he handles that, um, and great stories of Negro League players. Did he ever? Did Buck O'Neill ever write a book? I'm sure he did. You know, I don't know if he wrote a book per se, um, but uh, there. I mean, I I have God, I have tons of books that where he's been involved with it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um. Well, we're kind of running out of time, but I wanted to just see if you had any more. I mean, I, I first of all, thank you for doing this. Thank you for your insight, your perspective, uh, which is special, and you're incredibly knowledgeable. And I love hearing the stories, and I hope everybody else does too. Anything else you want to share about? Like, what's your biggest? Uh, this is what I want to hear. I, I just thought of the question I want to ask you. Tell me some great pickups that you've gotten, the cards that you really wanted that you were able to find of these of your 255, let's say, or whatever. What are some of the ones that you've gotten and just been so excited to to finally acquire? God, man, there's just like there's so many, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm all, right, we're going all of them, but I, I think I, I think the one that uh, I'm most probably extremely excited about to find uh probably was the uh probably the tom alston there's a tom alston card from 1955 bowman and uh i i remember because there's a unique story with this right i I was in the, the the card shop one time and i remember there was a kid that was just kind of going through the cards and he passed that card up and he's and I just, I, I stopped him. I said, I'm sorry, can I see that card? And, he's, and the kid goes to me, he says, well, why do you want to see it? And I, and I said, he says, why do you want that card? I said, because that was a great ball player. And he goes, really? <laughs> like, really? So, you know, I remember having a conversation with this kid. And this kid was probably about 17 or 18 years old or so. And, and I remember talking to him and telling him about how, you know, St. Louis wanted this guy. They wanted to get somebody that that could hit really good back then. And they heard about this guy, Tom Alston. And I go into the story and tell them how the people of St. Louis was so overjoyed to, to have this guy come to their ball club because they had seen what this guy was doing in the minor leagues and what he did in the Negro leagues. And the kid, I remember his face, his eyes opened up. And it was like, holy cow. He says, can I buy that card now? <laughs> I told him, why don't you go ahead and buy it? And uh, he ends up buying that card, and I end up finding another one. But every time I look at that card, um, I think about that conversation with that kid, man, and, and how his eyes just lit up when he found out that that guy was somebody special, man. So I would have to say, out of all of them, probably the Tom Austin. And you know how much that card was? $2. Cents. 50, there you go. <laughs> right? 50 cents, man. It's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it, so, again, it's connection. So uh, yeah. it's funny. I'm looking down at my table. I have cards on a glass table that's here underneath a piece of glass, and I'm looking at a Monty Irvin card right now. I know he's one of your favorite players of all time. Yes, it is. Um, and what an you know amazing player with the Giants, and you know later the Cubs. He played for several teams at the end of his career, but. What was his last card? 56 tops? Yeah. Does that sound right? That's right. Uh, and rookies, he's got a 51 tops and a 51 Bowman. 
are his. Is that correct? Those are his That's rookie correct. cards. Major That's league correct. rookie. Anyway, so see, I kind of know my stuff, Aaron. I kind of know my stuff. No, you do, Mike. You do, I, Mike. I, and you know, I, I, I look at it all through the lens of just being a baseball fan. Period. Like it's not about anything other than respect for the game, respect for the history, respect for the people that were talented enough to play it at the highest level. Uh, you know, skin color was irrelevant to me in terms of being a fan. I just don't, you know, uh, my favorite players of all time are Daryl Strawberry, Juan Gonzalez, Yvonne Rodriguez, uh, Josh Hamilton, and uh, Adrian Beltre. So we've got like, these are all, it's, it's a cornucopia of, you know, heritage and race and all those. I don't, cause I don't, I just respect the players and Lou Gehrig is my favorite all time player, but I'm just talking about kind of that mod since I've been growing up and, and a baseball fan, the players I enjoyed watching. Uh, I don't know. Uh, do you think there will ever be a time when more Negro league players are recognized and inducted into the hall of fame, kind of going back that kind of veterans committee. Cause they've done that several times in kind of chunks where they'll go and in, induct a bunch of impactful players from the Negro Leagues. Do you think that could happen again or should so. happen again? Do you think it should I, happen I, again? I, I think so. I, I think when you talk about, you know, Manny Manuso comes to mind, um, you know, and I think when you talk about him and what uh, he meant to baseball, you know, I, I he was just a, a great all-around player. Um, but more importantly, you know, what he did for other folks, man, what he did how he helped, you know, other young ball players be successful in the league. Um, I think that's something to note, man. You know, when you got guys like that that um, have come in and, and and had great careers and and you know have stories to tell about how they've impacted other players that went on to be potential Hall of Famers. I think you got to note that, man. So and then Don Newcomb, you know, I, I've had several conversations with Don Newcomb. Some of my events that my company hosted, um, he was there at him. So I was able to talk to him a lot. And uh, he's another guy, you know, I, you know, people talk about, you know, his drinking problem and, and, uh, you know, he fairly didn't get along with the media too well, you know, back then, but, uh, you know, you can't ignore what the man did, you know, you just you can't do it, you know? And uh, the other part is, you know, how he helped out other ball players, you know, and it's just, again, I, I think so. I think so, Mike, when you, when you start looking at all those things, it's just hard to ignore them. It really is. And now, especially with the whole you know, MLB Negro league integration thing, I think that's really going to be, um, you know, where you start seeing some of those ball players that rightfully should be in the hall of fame, but have just been uh, kind of overshadowed in a sense. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll finally, uh, you know, get in. You know, uh, people may or may not know this. Hank Aaron was the last Negro League player to hold a regular position on a major league team. But Minnie Minoso was the last Negro League player to play in a major league game when he appeared for the White Sox in 1980 as a, what was he, like 94 years old or something when he took the feet? Not, not really, but he was – it was kind of a publicity stunt by the White Sox, but still very cool. Uh, 
you know, Minnie Minoso played in a major league game in 1980, and the Negro Leagues essentially was finished in you know 49, kind of that early 50s. It it continued on for a while, but not at the same level. So that's just cool little tidbits that uh, the the legacy of the Negro Leagues lives on, and it is something we as baseball fans, as hobbyists, need to just awaken to or just rekindle that joy of learning about the game and, and kind of learn about this stuff if you don't know. So Aaron, man, you're a wealth of knowledge, dude. And uh, I appreciate you. I really do. No, I appreciate you, Mike. Thanks for, thanks for having me on, man. And uh, yeah. any final thoughts with you, man. Any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I do, man. You know, I want to tell everybody, man, just uh, have fun with this hobby. You know, go out and, and do some research and really appreciate what you got. Um, don't worry about prices or, or the top car. Love what you got. Do research and find out why those players are so special, man. It, it, it'll take your collecting to the next level. I promise you that. You'll find a... Uh, a, a passion and, and, and appreciation for uh, what you have a lot more. So that I'm going to leave with that. That's a great way to end this podcast. So thank you everybody out there for watching Aaron Davis. Thanks for being my guest today. Uh, guys go check out everything on the bench clear media network. We're doing a lot of great stuff over there. Go check out other episodes of the golden age of cardboard podcast. If you're, this is your first one. Welcome. Thank you for listening. Thanks for watching on YouTube. We'll catch you guys soon.